good morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. The truth and the life. Everybody say those, those words with me. The way, the truth, and the life. These were the words of Jesus. And he was basically saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at the first part of that. We're going to look at Jesus telling us, he says, I am the way. Amen? He didn't say he was one of the ways. He says, I am the way. All right, that's what the Word of God tells us. Let's jump into the Word of God. John chapter 14 and verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. These are scriptures that you usually read at a funeral. But we're reading it, it's not no one's funeral today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm so glad he's got a place that he wants us to be with him at. Are you excited about that? That God has gone to prepare a place for us, and he's looking forward to that day where we will be with him for, throughout the countless ages of eternity. And he, he told his disciples, verse 4, and where I go, you know. And the way, everybody say the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Um, Thomas, he, he's known as the doubting Thomas. He's going to challenge some stuff. Thomas is we don't know where you're going. And, and you're saying we know the way. We don't know the way that, to get there. We want to go, but we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, and these are the, the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one or no man in the King James says, comes to the Father except through me. Everybody say, I am the way. That's what Jesus said. He says, I am the way. You know, in every area of our lives, we are moving in some direction. In every area of our lives, we are headed down a specific pathway. The path that we're on has a destination. It doesn't matter what area or arena in your life. The, the road that you're on in life is headed to a specific destination. I'm going to break it down for you here a little today. Your finances are headed to a specific destination. Your health, depending on what you're doing, the path that you're taking, the foods that you're eating the foods that you should not be eating that you're eating, the amount of foods that you're eating that you should not be eating that much food. 
you're heading, and there's going to be a destination if you stay on that path. Your marriage is headed somewhere. I pray it's headed in a good direction. Your kids, they, they, they are pointed in a certain direction. There's going to be a destination that they're going to end up somewhere someday in their future. You're headed somewhere. Your kids are headed somewhere. Your family, your career, your spiritual life is headed somewhere. If you stay on the road that you're on, there is a predetermined destination for where you're going. Amen? It's mind-boggling to me how people live their lives in such a way. And they finally get to this bad place in the road. And they look around and say, how did I get here? Well, I can look at them right now and I can tell them, the way you're going, you're heading in that direction. And you've got a destination you're going to end up at if you're going to keep living life that way. In your notes today, I put this in because I wanted you to get it. It's, it's not always our problems that we need to fix. You know, everybody's got troubles, right? Everybody's got problems. It's not the problems you need to focus on. You know, you can fix today's problem, but if you're heading in the wrong direction, there's going to be a new problem tomorrow. And if you fix that problem and you keep going in the wrong direction, there's going to be another bump in the road and you're going to be messed up again. It's not necessarily the problems that we need to fix. Sometimes we need to fix or change our direction. If you get your life pointed in the right direction, if you get on the right pathway, if you follow the right truths and the right things that are going to lead and dictate the course of your life, you will find that the problems will take care of themselves. The Bible lets us know in Proverbs chapter 12 and chapter 14 and verse 12. The Bible says, if we leave it up to ourselves, there's a way. Everybody say way. There's a way that seems what? Right unto a man. It, it seems right. I've had so many people sit in my office or me to spend some time counseling them. It, this just seems right, Pastor Steve. It's so right. I, I don't think I'm going wrong. They're just... They're doing it according to what they think. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But it says, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Did you, you ever start down an avenue with someone or something or some situation? And, and, and you thought it was good. But one day you found out it was not so good. You know what I'm talking about? You had it all figured out and, and all the, 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 the things were coming together and you thought, this is, this is good. But it was not good for your life. It was not good for your family. It was not good for your kids. It was not good for your finances. There's a way that seems right to me, but the Bible says the end thereof are the ways of death. I might get it wrong on my own. This guy's not as smart as he thinks he is. I might think it's right, but it might be the worst thing in the world for me. So I really need someone. I'm talking about me today. I need someone 
who knows the right thing to do and can guide my life and lead my life because I want to make sure I end up at the right destination. And so I'm looking for someone that knows the road in front of me, someone who's knowledgeable in what's coming down the road. I want to follow someone who knows. John's Gospel, we're going to talk about the book of John here for a moment. You know, you have your your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We think they're they're the Gospels. We think they're all the same. But but as you start looking at the Word of God, they, they call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic Gospels. What does synoptic mean? They mean they're very similar. They have similar, they start kind of the same. They have the same similar stories. They, they use a lot of the same wording. You can go and you can, you can read the parables. And, and yeah, they're slightly different, but really it's kind of the same. It talks about similar you know, events and circumstances and it works through. They're the synoptic gospels. Matthew, he, he's a writer and he presents Jesus in the gospels. He presents Jesus as the Messiah. Mark, the, the writer Mark, he's writing the, the gospel of Mark. It's really the same story as Matthew, but his slant or his writing presents Jesus as the obedient servant. Luke, he, he's a synoptic gospel writer. He's writing very similarly than Matthew and Mark, and he presents Jesus as the son of man. But when you come to the book of John, John is different than all the other gospels. They tell us by by historians that John was written about 60 years after the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. So, So John's gospel was not written as it was happening. It was written about 60 years later. And so John was on a mission. He was not trying to present Jesus as the Messiah. He was not trying to present Jesus as the servant. He was not trying to present Jesus as the Son of Man. John was on a mission. And as you understand this truth, he was trying to, and I believe this is in your notes, he was trying to prove that Jesus, that he was the one true living God. He was doing what it, he was doing his best to prove that, that Jesus is God, robed in flesh, dwelt among us. Notice the opening few words here in John chapter 1 and 1. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's basically saying, He starts it so differently. He doesn't go through the genealogies and start with John the Baptist or the birth of Christ. He he just jumps right in and he goes way back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And that Word that was God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And we, we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John, he's trying to prove that Jesus Christ is is the true, living God, robed in flesh. As you study the book of John and read through it, 
They say about 90% of the book of John is unique to John. You know, when you're, you're, I'm studying the Word of God from time to time. If you're, if you're reading a story about one of the parables or one of the situations, you know, if I, if I don't like the wording or if I think I can get a better, you know, version of it, I might go from Matthew to Luke and I can find the same story and I like how it's worded better by Luke in this instance. Another story, I might like the way that Matthew's. I, I can kind of do that. John, many times, is not, the stories are not the same. They're different stories in the book of John. In fact, there's no parables in the book of John. I thought that was very interesting. John is organized in your notes around seven discourses or, or times that Jesus elaborated on some subjects. Seven. Everybody say seven. John is organized around seven miracles. Everybody say seven. Um, John didn't record all the miracles. You're not going to find a lot of the miracles that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about in the book of John. In fact, in John, you find miracles that are only talked about in the book of John. If you go to John chapter 11, the miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead and, and Jesus coming four days late and going to the tomb and rolling away the stone and Lazarus coming forth. You guys know that one? Remember that in Sunday school? Or in your Bible study at time? That's only in the book of John. John. John is very unique around this. But also in the book of John, John takes a lot of time letting us know through, through Jesus' words who Jesus really is. He, Jesus is revealing his identity in the book of John. The Bible lets us know, we talked about the seven discourses and seven miracles, but there's the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. These seven I am statements are not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They're only found in John. What, what are they? Um, I am, we're talking about it today, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's three. There's also I am the resurrection and the life. Four. He said I am the bread of life five he says i am the light of the world six am i it's the right one two three four five six how do i have seven how do i have eight jesus okay maybe that's the anyhow i've got eight in my notes and i'm talking about seven i am the door and i am the good shepherd i guess life and, and the resurrection the life that's that's one um, praise God. I don't know why I didn't see that when I was doing my work. In Jesus' name. But Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm, I'm one of the ways that you can choose in, in your quest to find God. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the door. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the truth. So we're, we're going to spend some time talking about the way today, but before we jump to the way, I think we got to talk about those first two words. He says, I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. Everybody say those, say those two words. 
He says, I am. Because here Jesus was identifying himself as the great I am. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I was. Is that what he said? That makes sense in English. Grammarly, before Abraham was, I was. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They were not happy with this guy, this carpenter from Nazareth, aligning himself with the I am. The Bible says in the continuation of that verse, then they took up stones. They were so mad with him saying that he was the I am, they took up stones and they were ready to stone him. It made them so mad. Where, where did this whole I am thing come from? Jesus was basically in, the, in this one statement in, in John chapter 8. He was aligning himself with the I am of the Old Testament that met Moses at the burning bush. Let's go back there real quick in Exodus chapter 3. This is when God was calling Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. And, and he was in the desert and he, he stumbled upon this bush that was burning but was not consumed. And here's what the word of God says in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What will I say to them? Notice what God said to Moses. God said, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In this time in Moses' life, he was saying, God, what's your name? How, who, what do I say is the, the God that's sending me to be the deliverer? And God says, say that the I am has sent you. I am that I am. I am who I am. This was the original God revealing his name to the children of Israel. He was letting them know that he is the great I am that he is the omnipotent one, that he's the all-powerful one, that he is the omnipresent God, that he's the omniscient God, that he's the provider. He's saying, I am your provider. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. I am your salvation. Anything that you need, I am that. If you need peace in your life, I am the peace. And so that's how God revealed himself to Moses and they knew him as the I am. That, then a long time after that, in the life of the children of Israel, we, we learned that, that Israel was taken away into Babylonian captivity. And when they were off in Babylonian captivity, um, they, they finally got to return home, about 450 B.C. And they reverenced the name of God so much that they, they made sure in their community and in, in their with all their interactions, that they said, we're no longer going to say the name of God. It was outlawed amongst the children of Israel to, to say his name. And, and so because of that, they hadn't heard the name of God used publicly. 
It was something that they knew, but they didn't use it because they reverenced his name so much. And so they had not heard about this name for over 300 years. And that's why John's gospel is so striking. Because Jesus comes along, and this guy from Galilee, this carpenter from Nazareth, he starts talking, and he says, I am the way. Before Abraham was, I am. This was the name that they were not allowed to use. And to top it off, he's not just using that name, he's describing himself with that name. He's saying, I am that guy. I am that God of the Old Testament. And it outraged the religious leaders to such a point because they understood what he was claiming. They understood what he was trying to say. And the Bible lets us know that they were ready to take his life at that point with stones. Because how could any man lift up himself in such a way to say that he is the I am of the Old Testament? So Jesus revealed himself using the ancient name of God, I am. He says, before Abraham was, I am. This is the name that Moses had God revealed to him at the burning bush. He said, tell the people that the I am has sent me to you. And now Jesus was saying, I am. Look at, look at John chapter 8, another verse, in verse 24. Jesus is talking to the people. And he says, if, if you do not believe that I am he. You go back into the original Greek. If you look at it, the word he in, in, in many Bibles is an italicized he. Do you know what those italicized words mean in your Bible? That they're in italics? Those italicized words are to make it understandable in English. The writers and the interpreters of the old language, they were trying to make it so it would be easy for us to read. So in the original Greek, the Bible says, if you do not believe that I am you will die in your sins. The writers thought, well, we might need to add the word he in there. So in many Bibles, in my um, Bible today, it's italicized. It was added in. But if you go back to the original language, the Bible says this, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Some didn't understand what Jesus was claiming here. They just thought, okay, he's just talking. He's a crazy guy. He's, he's claiming to be whatever. But, but the people, the religious leaders of that day, they knew very well what he was claiming to be. And they knew what he was saying he was. And so they, that's why they started planning for his crucifixion. That's why they started scheming so they could get him on a cross and get him out of here because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the I am of the Old Testament. And so John's gospel is full of Jesus identifying himself as the I am. Did he have a right to do that? Yes, because the Bible says he was God robed in flesh. He was God dwelt among us. He was God, as one interpreter said, he was God who moved into the neighborhood. And so we're going to focus today on the fact that Jesus 
is the way. He says, I am the way. You know, before we jump into that totally, and I'm I'm not going to be a long time here. You know the believers of the New Testament church, you know what they called them? They called them the way. People of the way. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. Long before we use terms like Christians or Pentecostals or apostolics or, you know, all those terms that we put on people of God, the, the term that was used at first was that they were the people of the way. Acts 9 and 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. This is Saul who became the Apostle Paul. He was not a nice guy. You would want him kind of coming to your church when he was Saul. Okay? He was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He did not like Christians. He did not like those people that believed in Jesus. He went to the high priest and he has letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of, what's it say? Any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. These were people who were believers that Jesus Christ is the way. They they were people that that were living their life and they were proclaiming with their life that they believed that Jesus is the way. Saul was going and hoarding these people up and he was making them prisoners and he was taking them to, to prisons because he did not like those people of the way. Later on in the book of Acts, of course, we see now Saul, the bad guy, has become Paul, the apostle. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 14, just a couple of examples. Many times the the writer of Acts, Luke, he, he calls and uses the term the way, but this is the second example. However, he says, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. He says, which they call a sect. Those are, those are crazy people. They're, they're in a cult. These are the people that, you know, that they follow after this, this Jesus guy who's the way. They're, they're just, they're, they're a little odd, you know. Don't just, he goes, I'm one of those guys now. I used to take these guys and take them off to prison. I didn't like the people that were of the way. I would take men and women and I would, I would try to get rid of them. But now he says, I worship the God of our ancestors. And I, I am a follower of the way. What was he saying? He says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of of Jesus. He he said, I am the way, and I believe it, and I'm giving my life, and I'm giving everything I've got to follow Jesus the way. Early Christians, they were persecuted for believing that Jesus was the way. I don't don't know how it is with, with you guys, but have you ever noticed that if you just talk about God, for a lot of people, it's okay. You know, in some settings, in some workplaces, you know, you talk about God or you talk about, hopefully you don't use these, but you, you know, I, I believe in a, you know, a higher power. You know, it, okay, so do I. We don't know what higher powers we all believe in, but, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's kind of accepted. But I'm telling you, something happens 
when you start using the name of Jesus. Something starts happening. Problems start coming about when, when you start praying in the name of Jesus. Now, now, good things happen and sometimes bad things happen. Not bad things because you're praying in Jesus' name and you shouldn't be, but people that don't like it. You can talk about God, you have your God, do, do your thing with God, but, but you bring Jesus into the mix, people get upset. I, I want to tell you today that, that Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He says, I am the way. Not all roads lead to heaven. In your notes today, there are not many ways or many roads that lead to God. Not many. The Bible lets us know there's only one way. And his name is Jesus. There was a survey done and research done in North America. They say there's 217 different Christian denominations. Everybody say 217. What a theological nightmare. It's no wonder people are confused. 217 variations on, on what this book means. 217 unique roadmaps to get to heaven. There's not 217 roadmaps to get to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven. It's Jesus. The only way you're going to get there is through Jesus. You're not going to get there through your good works. You're not going to get there through your good looks. You're not going to get there through your smarts and your education. The only way to get there is because of Jesus and His grace and mercy in your life. Many people in our society, they, they believe we're all going to end up at the same place. Oh, you believe that, and I believe this, and we're all going to be one little happy family, and we're all going to make it. Forget about the doctrine. Just love God, and let, we're all going to get there. What's this book say? Problem with that approach is I believe it's wrong. Because there's not 10 ways to get to heaven. There's not 20 ways to get to heaven. There's not 30 ways to find salvation. The Bible says there's only one way to be saved. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what grandma thinks. The Bible says that this word is going to judge us. And it says that Jesus is the only way. In your notes today, Jesus didn't die on a cross to be one of the ways. Or to be the better way to get to heaven. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I, I, I found that many Christians, oh, over three quarters of Christians believe that, you know what, you go to your, your beliefs and your church and I'll go to mine and we're all going to end up in heaven. That's what many, many Christians believe. But, but, there, there, there are some Christians that they're, they're, they're called, they, they, they believe in the idea of exclusivism. Everybody say exclusivism. 
I know it's a big word for a Sunday morning. Exclusivism, can't even say it. Exclusivism states that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. This is, there's not a bunch of options here. There's not this way by this church and this way by that church and all the, no, it's the only way to Jesus, to God is through Jesus Christ. But those that are rejecting exclusivism, they're considered the people that are inclusivism people, and they believe that all religions and all doctrines lead to God. I've even heard people say, you know, you can be Christian, you can be Buddhist, you can be Muslim. We're all praying to God. It doesn't really what you believe. You can get there any way you want. Not according to this. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. And the Bible says it's through Jesus Christ. Now people reject the fact of exclusivism. They they don't like the fact that there's only one truth. There's only one way. I don't have options. We want options with everything. But Jesus said, I am the way. And those were the types of statements that Jesus was making that got him into trouble. That's why there was those Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day, that they were scheming. They were making backdoor and back-of-the-house deals to get rid of this guy because of the things he was saying. He was making claims that they did not believe in. And they were trying to take him out. It caused him a lot of trouble. Because Jesus said, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Talk about exclusivism. Jesus Christ is the author of exclusivism. Now, now, I want you to notice, that's a phrase that we, we, we use, we know. Notice the order. This order, the, the, the words here are not in, you know, we can change the order. It says, I am the, what's first? Way. Then it says, and the truth and the life. I want to tell you today, the order is important here. Because if you don't get your direction right first, you won't end up with the truth. And if you don't get your direction right first, you'll never end up finding the life that you want to have at the end. So you must get your order correct. You must find Jesus as the, the way first. And when he's the way, you will find the truth. And when you find the truth, you will have life. It will be everlasting life. It will be abundant life, as Brother Mark talked about last Sunday, in this life. And then it's going to be eternal life with Jesus Christ. In the next, Jesus said, I'm the way. Nicodemus, one of those rulers, one of those religious guys, he was intrigued by Jesus. And the Bible lets us know back in the book of John, that that unique gospel, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He, He wants to find out more about this guy. He's intrigued. 
He's a religious leader, but he wants to find out what this Jesus guy really is talking about. So he kind of gets his own little private meeting with, with Jesus by night. He didn't want anyone to see him. And he begins to ask Jesus what he must do. Well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? John chapter 3 and verse 3, many of you guys have read this and know this verse. But Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot. Everybody say cannot. Conditions. Born again. If you're not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is a a grown man. He goes, okay, I'm not familiar with these terms here. How is a guy as big as me going to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? Okay, simple. He didn't know the answer. Verse 5, Jesus gives him the answer. He said, Jesus said, most assuredly, I cannot, I, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot, everybody say cannot, enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is led in Nicodemus know the way. He's saying, you, you, you got to come to me through the water and the spirit. There must be a birth of water and a birth of spirit. And, and that's really what we have to understand. We have to be born of the water and born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. I want to I follow Jesus. I, I want to follow and study what this word says. I, I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure I'm following the way. Whatever he says, I want to follow. Whatever he says do, I want to do. However he says live, I want to live. Because I want to end up at the right destination. At the end of Jesus' earthly life, he had been to the cross and resurrected, and he was getting ready to, to be ascended into heaven. He left some very important instructions for his followers in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. He says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. He says, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He's saying, I'm I'm leaving you, but I've got a promise for you. It's a promise that's going to, and he talked about it. He says, you know, I'm with you, but I'm going to live in you. I'm going to live in you by the power of the Spirit. He says, I I, I want to not just be with you as I am today. I want to live in you. I want to walk in you. I want you to have my Spirit to to guide your every step. I want when you're making decisions in life that you can pray and my Spirit can direct your decisions. I'm going to be your guide, the Bible says, that the Holy Ghost is our comforter. It's our guide. It will lead you, the Bible says, into all truth. So they went to the upper room in Acts, and they waited. Jesus ascended. They waited. 24 hours, nothing happened. No promise came. Two days, three days go by, nothing happened. They waited for about 10 days. And then the Bible lets us know in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one mind and one accord, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. The Bible says that that they experienced the promise of the Father. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And later on in the book of Acts, in that chapter, in chapter 2, 
when, when the people that, that was noised abroad, what was going on with all these unlearned fishermen and people, they, they were speaking in languages that they, they knew, and they said, how are these unlearned people speaking in my own language? Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, and he preached the message, the great message in Acts 2. And at the end of the message, they, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. And they begin to say, what do we need to do? What do I need to do to, to follow after this Jesus and, and to have my life transformed? And at the end of the sermon that Peter let them know in Acts 2 and verse 38, he said, then Peter said to them, repent. Everybody say repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God wants us to, to repent of our sins. To follow the way, we got to repent. I can't keep living my life the way I have always wanted to live my life. I can't follow my fleshly desires and live for God. I must repent, turn from my wicked ways, and start following after God. I must then get baptized. Come to me and say, Pastor Steve, I want to get baptized. I will baptize you in water in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says when you go under the water and come back up, you're buried with Christ and you rise to walk in newness of life. It's a new life. And the Bible says you will receive the gift of his spirit. So we, we, we've been shown the way. We've been told through the word of God the way. God wants us to walk with him. He wants us to believe. He wants us to, to follow the commands in his word. He wants us to live a life of holiness and purity before Him. He wants us to be sold out to Him. I want to follow the way. If you're walking down a wrong path, it doesn't matter if you walk any faster or if you walk any better, you're still walking down a wrong path. Some of us might need to change paths. I talked about Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. Saul, he, he, he thought he was living right. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he was on a wrong path. The Bible says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The Bible says he was a zealous man. The Bible lets us know he was sincere in what he was doing, but he was sincerely wrong. It didn't matter how fast he changed his pace. It didn't matter how smart he walked. He was on a wrong path. And wrong paths lead to wrong destinations. So it doesn't matter how you've lived your life to this point. You've got to check the path. You've got to check who you're following, what you're following. Are you following your own intuition? Are you following what someone in your family is saying? Are, are you following some rituals? Or are you following what the Word of God says to follow? I must follow the right words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I need to get my life on the right path. I must follow what He says. If He's the way, i got to listen to the words of Jesus. You know, this, this path, living for God, is not always the easiest thing to do. How many would say it was easy? It's not easy sometimes. You know, family doesn't think you're doing the right thing. Friends might think you're crazy. Coworkers think, who in 
earth is that person? They pray every day before meals. Who does that anymore? Like, people don't understand that. But, but when friends and family don't understand it, I don't care because I'm following the way. I'm living my life for Jesus. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks because I'm going to live my life according to the way. I'm almost done. In your notes, living for Jesus may not be the easiest, but it is always the best way. And it's the best way. Why? Because of the destination. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's a whole lot of people in Burlington and Oakville and Hamilton and in the GTA. They're on that broad road. Their friends are there. It's a wide road. It's, it's, it's a jolly road. It's the partying road. It's living life large road. The Bible says the end of that road is what? It's destruction. And there are many who are going down that road. Verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Following after Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Following after Jesus is is not always going to be the easiest road to take. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But the Bible says narrow is the gate. It says difficult is the road sometimes. How many have had a tough day or two in the last month? All right. Struggle sometimes. Go through trials sometimes. The devil... The enemy of your soul comes after you and tries to take you out. It's tough sometimes, but I'd rather stay on that narrow road. I'd rather have a few trials along the way and know that at the end of the road, there's a destination that I want to be at. Because really, guys, th this life, it's going by like that. We're only on this planet for a very short time. L let's get this thing right. L let's get on the right path. Let's make sure we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. I don't want to live my life and end up at, at, at whatever time and, and, and give up the ghost and die and, and end up somewhere I didn't want to end up. I don't want you to end up somewhere you don't want to end up. I want to make sure I get on the right road. And if that road's a little narrow, if that road's a little tough, if there's trials, I've got a God that's going to guide me. I've got a Savior that's going to walk with me. He's there with me through every trial and test. And I've had to rely on Him. And you've had to rely on him as well. But it's so worth it. When you finally get to the end of that road, it will be so worth every long mile. It will be so worth every trial that you go through. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I can think a lot of good things. I can let my mind imagine a lot of wonderful things. But the Bible lets us know that no ear has heard, and, and, and it's not ever entered into the heart of any man the good things that God has prepared for those that love him. It'll be so worth it. 
every saint of God that passes and goes into heaven and on to the next life, when they have lived their life for God and prayed and fasted, and when they've given of their time for the kingdom of God, and they've witnessed and they've, they've done their best for the master, when they get there, oh, how worth it it will be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's thank him for a moment that we're on that path. Let's thank him for a moment that we know who he is. Let's thank him for a moment that, that we're following Jesus. We're not following some man who's dead. We're not following after some prophet who's telling us stuff and he's already gone and he's in his grave. But we're following the one that died and was buried and rose again. He's the almighty God. I'm going to tell you this last statement is not an easy statement, but it's in your notes, and I'm going to make sure you get the blank. Heaven will not be your final destination until you embrace Jesus as the way. Come on back to the music here. Heaven will not be your final destination until you embrace Jesus as the way. Let's all stand. There's something about that. I, I just want to encourage someone here today. You might say this is new to me. You might say this is different for me. But I want to encourage you today. You've heard the word of God. You've heard what Jesus has said. You, 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 all you have to do is embrace the fact that Jesus is the way. You've got to embrace him as the one who has the answers. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the truth. When we follow him, when we serve him, we will find that Jesus is everything you need. If you need healing today, he's told us in his word, I am your healer. If you need salvation today, he's told us in the word of God that I am your savior. If you need peace today, the Bible lets us know that Jesus says, I am the prince of peace. If you need victory in your life, He is our victory. If you need Him to be your way maker, as we sang about earlier today, He's your way maker. Maggie, as you just make decisions about your future, He's the one that's going to guide your life. He's the one that's going to lead your life. He's the one that's going to direct your steps. The Bible says He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Do you know the way today? Are you have you been introduced to the way today? I hope today at the end of this message, you say, I know the way. I want to follow the way. I want my life to live for the way. I, I, I know that he is the only way. And I must tell everybody that I know that Jesus is the way. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram. And on Facebook, search Life Church, and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.